This morning I want to talk to you about finishing strong. And, and I think it's a, it's a really important aspect of, of our Christian life. Is that, is that we, we look towards our goal. And, and if we look at our goal, our goal is firstly to be with Yeshua, to be with our Father. Secondly, our goal is to become like Yeshua. So therefore, it is really important that we, that we look, this morning, we look at this finishing strong theme. And last Sunday, I spoke to you about uncertain times, and I believe that, um, that the message this morning is an extension to that message. In fact, if you look at the last, at the last three messages, it all sort of interlinks together. And there's one specific person in the Bible that experienced uncertain times, but he believed it in an instance. And everything was going well, and everything was going fine, and he was happy, and he was, he was, he was absolutely 100% okay. And then suddenly, everything changed. And sometimes it's like that with us. You know, everything is going well, it's going well at work, everything is going fine with our health, and the next thing, we get a little letter that says, we're being retrenched, or the company is closing down, or whatever the case may be, or we find out that our health is not what it's supposed to be. And then everything changes in our life. And this man went from being one of the richest men in his community to losing his children, his wealth, as well as his health. And imagine how uncertain the times were that he had ahead of him. And this man was Job. And uh, you probably <laughs> realize that I talk about Job a lot because um, there's so much in that book of Job that is, that is important to us as, as Christians. And um, so like Job, we experience uncertain times. But the important thing about this is that we finish strong. And like Job finished strong, like most of the other people in the Bible finished strong. And therefore it is, it is, um, it is our goal to finish strong. And then I listen to, to certain Christian leaders, especially those in the prosperity movement, and I am concerned at their statements. I am concerned at the statements they make. And maybe this morning, you believe one of these statements. Or, or maybe you have been told one of these statements. And I'm going to read a couple of these statements to you, and, and I want, want you to think about it. Is that what your belief system is? Or is that, what, is that that's, uh, something that somebody has said to you before? And, and what they're saying to us is, if you are suffering, your faith is not strong enough. If you are not wealthy, if you are not rich, if you don't have everything in abundance, your faith is not strong enough. If you are not healthy, if you are ill, if you're battling with illness, and if something happens to you that is that is out of the ordinary, from a health perspective, your faith is not strong enough. And if you're not successful in business, if you're not successful in relationships, if you're just not successful, or you believe that you are not successful, your faith is not strong enough. And I'm sure if I asked you this morning, if, if those of you who believe this or who've been told this or who've heard this, if, if, you would, if I asked you to put up your hands this morning, I think most of you sitting here will put your hands up this morning. 
And the only thing that they are doing is they are trying to create fear and uncertainty and doubt in, in, in most Christians. You see, because we all suffer at some point in time. We all have health issues at some point in time. And not all of us are rich. And, and when I talk about rich, I'm talking from a monetary perspective, because there are many other things, and if you read the Bible, that, that tells us what richness is. But, but we are not all rich. And we are not all successful, according to, to worldly norms. And when we listen to the prosperity gospel, most Christians will question their faith, and some will even give up on it, because they believe that their faith is not strong enough. And it's similar to what Job's friends were saying to him after this disaster, after this disaster in his life struck. They were asking and questioning about exactly the same thing. They were questioning his faith and his righteousness. And they said to him, Job, because this happened to you, there must be something wrong with your, with your faith. There must be something wrong with your righteousness. And they were implying that because of his lack of faith, God made him to suffer. And then they came to this conclusion... In Job 8, verse 5 to 7. And it says, If you would earnestly see God and make your supplication to the Almighty, and listen to this, verse 6, if you were pure and upright. And the moment they put that word if there, they are questioning his faith and his righteousness. And they are asking, if you were pure and upright. Because we don't believe you were. Surely now He would awake for you and prosper your, your rightful dwelling place. He's, so they're saying, so Job, if you, were, if you were righteous, if you had faith, if you were faithful to the Lord, if you le- walked in, 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 um, in righteousness, then surely God would have fixed all of this by now. And in verse 7 they say, through your beginning was small. Although your beginning was small, yet your latter end will increase abundantly. And what they're saying is, is we go from, from smallness, and as our faith grows, so does our, our prosperity grow abundantly. That's the idea that they're trying to create here. And this friend of Job that's talking is a guy by the name of Bildad. And Bildad is saying that if Job was a righteous and faithful man, his prosperity would have increased continually. It would not have stopped. It would have continued to happen. And he's saying that Abba Father would, have, would not have taken away his health, would not have taken away his wealth, and definitely not have taken away his prosperity. But it would have continued to increase. His friend's understanding of finishing strong is to continuously increase and prosper. But that is not what the Bible teaches. That is not what the Word of God tells us. And the question is, did, did God restore Job's life? Yes, He did. But you know, Yeshua comes to us and He tells us, but let me explain to you what the principles of Abba Father is. Let me explain to you the true principle of Abba Father. And He comes to us in Luke 12 verse 15 when He starts with this whole principle to try and explain to us what, it all, what it's all about. And it says there in Luke 12 verse 15, it says, And He said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. And with covetousness goes greed. He says, beware of covetousness. For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. It's not about how much money you have. It's not about how much stuff you have. 
We've become people of stuff. Have you noticed that? We gather stuff all the time. And the more stuff we have, the more we think we are prosperous. And then Yeshua goes on to tell the parable of the man, the rich man who accumulated his wealth and built bigger barns to store his wealth. And he says that was his only focus. He was focusing on his prosperity. He was focusing on, on how wealthy he was. And then in Luke 12, verse 18 to 19, he says, And he, that's the rich man, said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. So in other words, everything that he's reaping, everything that he's gathering, and all the stuff that he had, he will put them in the bigger bonds. He will build bigger bonds because he is just prospering like nobody else. He says, I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease and eat, drink, and be merry. And what are we reading here? This guy is getting into a place of comfort. He's getting into a nice comfort zone. And sometimes we think if our bank account is not big enough, and we've got a big, big enough house, and we've got a, 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 enough stuff, we will be comfortable. We'll sit in this little comfort zone, and everything will be just fine and just right. And my life would be perfect. And this man believed that finishing strong meant to be prosperous and to accumulate wealth. And his focus was towards his possessions and not towards our Father. And this man was probably a good man. He was probably a law-abiding citizen because we don't read any, anything else but just what he said. But, but this is typically what, what guys of his stature were. He was living a good life. And what he already had increased so much that he needed more space to store it. Maybe he lived a, in a wealthy housing estate. Maybe he drove a nice car or two. Was a good neighbor. But our father called him a fool. And we see this in Luke 12, verse 20 to 21. He says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul will be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And what is our Father saying to us? He says, richness comes from what we believe in and in, in our relationship with our Father, not in wealth and, and in the things that we, that we gather. And the reason our Father called him a fool was because he was selfish and greedy. And in verse 31, Yeshua tells us that to finish strong, we should not seek prosperity, what we, but we need to seek first the kingdom, the authority, and the righteousness of God. That is where our wealth lies. That is why, where we gain prosperity. In seeking our Father, seeking His righteousness, seeking His face. And I honestly believe that the bigger, biggest problem in the world today is that we are so inwardly focused. We are, we are only focusing about ourselves. It's all about me, it's all about me, it's all about me. And if that is true, we will never be able to finish strong. And if you look at our, our situation in South Africa, from every aspect, we have become a nation of I want. It's all about I want, I want, I want, and that's all you hear, all the time. And our only focus is what we can gain from others, what we can gain from the government, what we can gain from life in general, what we can gain from the church, and it carries on and carries on and carries on. 
And how many times do we not go to church in the morning, get to, to, the, to the sermon, and what we're saying to ourselves is, as we, are, uh, as we are driving into church, we're saying the first thing we're saying, I hope I'm getting something out of this message today. I wonder if I'll, if I'll get something today. I wonder if the message will be for me today. And what is it all about? It's all about me, me, me. Who has ever said, I am so glad to get to church this morning so as a congregation we can worship the Lord? But we don't say that. And people say, I'm not going to listen to so and so because I just don't get anything out of it. And it's not about you, it's not about me. It's all about our Father. It's all about God. It's all about Yeshua. And what we should be saying is, I'm so glad to be amongst my, my, um, my congregation so that we can fellowship together and so that we can honor and praise the Lord and worship Him. But we don't. And maybe as I said, we're just a nation of I once. You thought, oh, that's not me. Well, maybe we've got to rethink this. Maybe it is you. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. But that's what we've become. Someone wrote a poem about this, about the me, me, me thing. And I thought it was a very cool poem. So I want to read it to you this morning. But it goes like this. I had a little tea party this afternoon at three. It was very small. Three guests in all, just I, myself and me. Myself ate all the sandwiches while I drank up the tea. It was also I who ate the pie and passed the cake to me. And isn't that what we've become? We are so inwardly focused that we don't care about anybody else. We don't care about anyone or anything else. It's all about me. And the Word of God said it's so not about you. It's all about Him. And God called the man who lived like this, He called him a fool. And Paul understood what it meant to finish strong. And in 2 Timothy 4 verse 6 to 8 he says, For I am already being poured out. What happened to Yeshua? He was poured out for us. He gave his life. And Paul is saying in this, he says, For I have already given all that I have. I've been given, I've been given my entire life to the cause, to the goal. To finishing strong. He says, and the time of my release is here. And the, his time of his release, that means he's close to death. I have fought the good fight. And what is he talking about fighting the good fight? He's fighting the good fight for the gospel. He's fighting the good fight that we are told. And when he writes uh, in, in, in his, in his ep, uh, epistles, he says this thing. He says, for our, our, we fight not against what? Flesh and blood. And this is the fight that he's talking about. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. For the rest, he says, the crown of righteousness is laid up for me, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me in that day, and not only to me, but also to all the ones loving his presence. And the question is, do we love His presence? Do we want to be in His presence all the time? Or, or are we sometimes busy with things where the Lord cannot be? Do we sometimes go to that club or to that pub or to wherever we go and say, Oh, Lord, sorry, you can't be here this morning. Or you can't be here this afternoon. 
Or once we've played golf and we go sit in the pub and we drink together and we do all sorts of things and we tell dirty jokes. Sorry Lord, this is not the place for you. Maybe you should just stay outside. Go grab a club and do some putting on the putting green, but you can't come into this place. Or are we seeking to be in His presence all the time? And Paul was sitting, while he was writing this, he was sitting in a Roman prison. And he was awaiting imminent um, execution. But still he is writing a letter of encouragement to Timothy. And Paul endured the suffering. He endured the persecution. He endured the beatings. He endured the stonings. And he endured the rejection. And despite all of this, he endured to the end. Because he was gathering wealth in heaven. And his only goal was to be accepted into the presence of our Father, and therefore he was finishing strong. Paul had a co-worker. And his co-worker's name was Demas. And Demas didn't finish strong. And in verse 10 of 2 Timothy 4, Paul writes this, he says, For Demas deserted me. But listen to what he says about him. He says, loving the present age. Loving the things of the world. Wanting to be in the world. Thinking that the things of the world was more important than the things of our Father. He says, and he went to Thessalonica. And if we look at this place, Thessalonica, Thessalonica was a place of trade and business. He was, maybe, he thought about gathering some wealth. And according to tradition, and a guy by the name of um, Epiphanius, um, it says that Demas became a priest to the idol gods. In Thessalonica. So he got so involved in the world that he started to, to worship the gods of the world. And he worshipped them so much that he became a priest to them. You see, he didn't finish strong. What he did is he fell away from the faith. The guy by the name of Jerry Bridges wrote this about Paul and Demas. And he was saying this. He says, Here were two men who had ministered together, Paul and Demas, mentor and mentoree. One endured and finished the race and looked forward to the crown of righteousness. The other man peeled off, deserted his mentor, and was never heard from again. And could this be one of the guys, because he ministered with Paul, saying to Yeshua, But Lord, in your name, I cast out demons. I healed the sick. And Yeshua maybe would look towards him and say, I don't know you. I don't know you. Because are we doing it for the fame? Are we doing it for the fame and fortune? Are we doing it to look good? Are we doing it to look spiritually mature? Or are we doing it for him? And only for him. Paul placed his faith in our Father above everything else and he was confident that he had endured to the end and therefore he was finishing strong. And it was the same with Job. And our Father called him a righteous man, not because he had wealth, but because of his absolute faith in our Father. That's why he called him a righteous man. And even when his wife turned against him, he continued to honor God. And we see in Job 2 verse 9 to 10, he said, his wife speaks to him. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Wow! 
And she's questioning why he's still a righteous man. Why he still wants to do everything for God. Why he was still holding on to his faith in our Father. And she's questioning that. Look at what's happening to you. So maybe she also believed that if your faith was strong enough, God would prosper you. Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Listen to what she says. Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? And in all this, Job did not sin with his lips. And is that not incredible? It says that every word that came out of his mouth was righteous. He did not sin through his lips. In other words, he did not say sinful words. No sinful word came out of his mouth. And then in Job 13, verse 15 to 16, we see something similar. It says, though he slay, Job is talking. He says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Even so, I will defend my own ways before him. And that's something that you cannot do. You cannot defend your own ways. And in the end, in, in Job 42, he actually apologizes to God for some of the things that he said. But he says, he, he also shall be my salvation, for a hypocrite could not come before him. And what is Job saying? He says, it doesn't matter what happened to me. God is still my salvation. And this was Job's greatest statement of faith. And despite everything that happened to him, he continued to trust in Abba Father, and he trusted in Abba Father as his source of salvation. And he chose to finish strong. What are the keys of finishing strong? There must be some principles in in finishing strong. And and this morning I want to share with you three basic principles to finishing strong. And the first principle is this. Crucify your flesh. Crucify your flesh. Galatians 5 verse 24 says this. It says, And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What it means to crucify the flesh is to allow everything that is in opposition to our Father to die. Anything that's in opposition to our Father must die. And our flesh is not only the physical body, but it's primarily driven by our thoughts, by our emotions, by our desires. That is what's driving the flesh. So what is going on in your, thought, in your thoughts? What are your desires? How's your emotions? Have you got godly emotions? Do we always seek godly emotions? When I get into an emotional state, am I saying to myself, is this a godly emotion or is this a worldly or a me emotion? We sometimes don't think about it. And you know what's amazing? Is that if you read the Bible, and the Bible talks about sin, and we know what sin is, sin is called missing the mark. And what is missing the mark? Missing the mark means that everything that our Father wants for me, I have missed that. I have deviated from that. And then the the Word talks about certain things. It talks about fear. What is fear? Fear is an emotion. And God says, I haven't given you a spirit of fear. What has He given us? A spirit of, of what? Power, of love, and of a sound mind. So my first question, if fear arises, I must ask myself, is this a godly emotion? Nope. doesn't come from Him. So what do you do with that? You crucify it. Let it die. 
But what do we do? We entertain it. And sometimes we love it. And we get into bitterness and all sorts of things, and we have our own little pity parties, and we think, yeah, you know, it's all, look at what happened to me. Is that a godly emotion? Are those godly thoughts? If they're not, crucify them. We all need to look at ourselves in, to the, in that respect. See, it is reflected in our deeds and in our words. That is why Yeshua said to us in Matthew 15, verse 18 to 19, He says, But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. So what is in your heart? Because if you want to speak some words, it comes out in your thoughts. And you have the thought first before you start speaking the words. Sometimes we think that it just, <laughs> we just spill it out, but we don't. It is a thought that turns into words. And, and it's coming from your heart. It's coming from what is your, your inner desire. He says, for out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts. Do you hear that? Out of your heart proceeds evil thoughts. Murders, adulteries, fornication, thefts, false, false witnesses, blasphemies. And what is he saying to us? He says we need to crucify those. What did James tell us? James said to us that we must become doers of the word. So in our actions, if our actions are not godly actions, what do we need to do? We need to crucify them. Paul says to us that we need, need to renew our mind. So if our thought processes are not godly, what do we need to do with it? We need to crucify it. Our thoughts, our words and our actions are the things that determine our commitment to our Father. And it is through our thoughts, our words and our actions that our righteousness is revealed. Because your righteousness cannot be revealed in any other way. It can only be revealed through your thoughts, through your words, and through your actions. It is when we are placed under severe pressure and trials and tribulations that our true character is revealed. And the question is, whose character will be revealed when this happens to you? Our selfish, worldly characters? Or the character of Yeshua? And are our thoughts, our words, and our actions aligned with the character of Yeshua? And that's the question we need to ask. And if it's not, it needs to be crucified. So what does crucifixion mean? You need to die. Because that's what the, that, that is what the, the image of the cross was. It was a symbol of execution. Because that is why how Yeshua was executed on a cross. He did not overcome the cross. He was taken off the cross as a dead person. He overcame death. He walked out of the grave. So that therefore it implies that if he talks about to, to us and says you've got to take up your cross, it means something has to die. 1 Corinthians 9 verse 26 to 27 says, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus I fight, not as one with, who beats the air, but I, listen to what he says, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection. And this leads on to our next, our next um, uh, key, uh, key for, uh, for uh, um, crucifying the flesh, or uh, uh, um, our key for, for living a righteous life. It says, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So are we disqualified... 
by, by our thoughts? Are we disqualified by the words that come out of our mouths? Are we disqualified by our actions? Or are we portraying the love and the character of Jesus Christ? And that is a question we all have to ask ourselves. When I am with, in, in checkers, or in the post office, or, where I, or wherever I am, if I'm standing in a queue, if I'm driving on the road and a taxi drives in front of me, what am I showing people? If I get upset in a restaurant with a waiter or with, uh, with uh, the chef, what's come, what comes out of my mouth? Are they righteous words? Am I disqualifying myself as a righteous person? And unless we crucify our flesh, the bitterness, the unforgiveness, the jealousy, the lust, the envy, the selfishness, all of that will never go away. It is through continued effort and perseverance that we will receive victory over the flesh so that we can finish strong. The second key to finishing strong is this. Surrender all. And we sing the worship song, I surrender all, but I wonder sometimes if we realize what we're singing or if we even mean what we sing. And sometimes when we worship and I look at the words on the board and we sing with these words and and we're saying these words, we're speaking these words and I'm thinking to myself, Lord, are we actually believing what we're singing? Are we actually doing what we're singing? Are we speaking what we're singing? You see, it is through continued effort and perseverance that we will receive victory over the flesh so that we can also finish strong. Luke 9 verse 23 to 24 says this. He says, And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. And this word deny is an interesting word. It is the word aperneumai. And when we look at this word aperneumai, that's the Greek word of it, it means to forget oneself. To lose sight of oneself and one's own interests. And if we're a me, me, me generation, this will never happen. We will never be able to deny ourselves. So, so this is what it means to deny yourself. To surrender all you are and all you have to Him. That's what it means to deny yourself. Surrender all. And this scripture in Luke 9 combines the first and the second principle. So the first one is crucify yourself. And it says there you've got to take up your cross. And the second is we've got to surrender all. In other words, we've got to deny ourselves. We've got to deny, deny who we are. And to surrender all is to know God in everything that we do. To evaluate it, um, or to evaluate uh, if what we are doing is in line with our Father's will for our life and according to His Word. And are we busy evaluating ourselves? You know, when David said, Lord, search my heart, I think we must say to ourselves, we need to search our hearts ourselves as well. And we need to look at ourselves and we need to look and understand what is going on here. And so many times we want to have it our way, but it's not about you, it's all about Him. And that's, that is why Yeshua said in Luke 22 verse 41, And He was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if Thou be willing, remove this cup from me, nevertheless not my will, but Thine be done. And is this our conviction? That we want to do the will of our Father in our lives. In Proverbs 
3 verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge Him, and He shall direct thy paths. Surrendering all implies that instead of telling God what I want to do, I ask Him what He wants me to do, even if it means that I have to lay down my rights. The third one, the third key is because become a bondservant of God. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 says, If thou part, uh, put the brethren in remembrance of these things, thou shalt be a good minister or a good servant of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the word of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto thou hast attained. And if we look at Paul and Jude and some of the other disciples, they called themselves servants of Yeshua. And it has a similar meaning to being a slave or a bondservant. It refers to somebody who set aside all his rights in order to serve Yeshua and Yeshua alone and to serve others. And in biblical times, bondservants were purchased. Or they were born into a family or a slave family. Some slaves developed such a close relationship um, and a loving relationship with their master's family that they chose to serve rather than going free. And therefore Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19 to 20, he says, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not of your own? For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And a servant of God, God knows who the king is. A servant of Yeshua is someone who voluntarily sets aside their own personal rights in order to love and to serve and to obey the will of Abba Father. And a servant of Messiah died to sin and die of fleshly desires, allowing Yeshua's life to flow through them. And to be a servant of Messiah is to seek His will in all things. A servant's key focus is to honor and to glorify Abba Father and Yeshua. And therefore 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 to 33 says, Then whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Be without offense both to Jews and Greeks, and to the assembly of God, even as I also... even as I also please all in all things, not seeking my own advantage, but that of the many, that they may be saved. You see, in order to finish strong, we need to apply the following. We need to continue in faith. We need to destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. We need to take every thought captive to obey Christ. We need to renew the mind continually. We need to pursue holy living. We need to daily crucify the lusts of the flesh. We need to love brothers and sisters in the faith. We need to store up treasures in heaven. And we need to eagerly await the Messiah's return. And if we put these things in order, and if we fix our lives, and if we follow these three keys that I've given you this morning, then we will, we will finish strong. But unless we do it, we might end up like a Demas. And I trust that all of you this morning will continue earnestly to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness to enable you to finish strong in faith and in glorifying and honoring God and His will in your life. And may we all finish strong. May we all come to a place where we follow the keys for finishing strong. So that we can be in a similar position that Paul was in. And saying, I have given everything. I am poured out for Yeshua. I have given Him 
by all. Are we doing this? Is our only focus Yeshua? Are we checking our thoughts? Are we checking our words? Are we checking our actions? Or do we just get up in the morning and come with May? It'll just happen. Or have you got a plan? You know, the Word of God says to us, Yeshua says, He says, Nobody builds a tower without determining the cost thereof. And I think what we need to do is we need to have a goal. We need to have a goal in place. And and our goal should be to finish strong. And when we wake up in the morning, we need to check if we are still on that path of our goal. Are we following our goal? Are we doing the right things to achieve our goal? That's amazing to me in the business world. We do that all the time. And I remember every time that I spoke to my team, every time that I spoke to my managers, every time I spoke to the salespeople, I was checking if they were following the goal. But you know what? We don't do that in our walk of faith. We don't do that in relationships. We don't do that towards our wives, towards our husbands. We don't do that towards our kids. And we're not checking if we're still following the goal that has been set before us. And maybe it's time. It was this big thing, remember? It's time. Well, let me tell you, it's time to start checking our thoughts, our emotions, our words, and our actions to make sure that they're in line with what our Father requires from us. And may that be something that we do from this morning onwards in checking everything that we do. And asking the question, and evaluating our thoughts, evaluating our words, evaluating our our, uh, emotions, and evaluating our actions to ensure that we always act, speak, think, and feel in a godly way. Our Father, this morning we just want to honor you. Lord, and sometimes we feel that we don't have the energy to finish strong. Sometimes, our Father, we are doubtful. Sometimes we are doubtful about our faith. And sometimes we are doubtful about the conditions that we find ourselves in and the situation that we find ourselves in. And maybe, Lord, we've listened to men and people saying that it, if, in honor, if your faith is strong enough, you should be healthy and you should be prosperous. And you shouldn't suffer. Maybe they should have asked the disciples first, Abba Father. And the example that they set for us. And despite everything that happened to them, they finished strong. Help us, our Father, so that we can also finish strong. Help us to evaluate our thoughts. Help us to evaluate our words. Help us to evaluate our emotions. And Father, most of all, help us to evaluate our actions. So that we can function in the character of Yeshua Messiah. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.
And this morning I want to honor you. And we want to worship you. And as we conclude this service, Father, and, and we sing towards you, and we raise up our arms and our hands into the air, and we raise our voices, Lord, to worship you. Please receive this as our offering of words that we bring to you. And may from this day onwards, may our words always honor you. We pray that in the mighty name of Yeshua. Amen.